Private Lender Podcast, Episode 112. The Private Lender Podcast quote of the day comes to us from Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said, Do not go where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. This is the Private Lender Podcast, the show that shares practical advice and know-how for new and seasoned lenders, from private mortgages on single-family houses to joint ventures on commercial projects and beyond. Discover details about investment vehicles that you won't find at your local bank or online broker. Listen and learn from private lenders and real estate investors, as well as from professionals and entrepreneurs, as they share the details, strategies, and the insight that allows for successful and prosperous lending. Now, get ready to increase your ROI. Here's your host, Keith Baker. Hello, Lender Nation. Greetings from the energy capital of the world. Last time I checked, Houston, Texas. And welcome to episode 112 of the Private Lender Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Baker, and I'd like to thank you for sharing your time with me today. If you're looking for practical tips and advice on private lending and how to build and maintain wealth without banks or Wall Street, then you're in the right place. But if you want to learn from my mistakes so that you can avoid them, well, then pull up a chair and pour yourself a stiff drink, my friend, because this podcast is just for you. Private Lender Podcast is dedicated to giving people just like you and me the knowledge and confidence to participate in the most passive form of real estate investing known to man, private lending. And if you're looking for the easy button or a shortcut to beginning your private lending, then head over to privatelenderpodcast.com forward slash Inc. That's I-N-K to learn how you can put your money to work for you by investing in private and hard money loans in and around the Houston area. And in case you haven't heard me say it before, Texas is a very lender friendly state with a relatively short foreclosure period. And that's why we private lenders like lending here so much. So if, it's, uh, if you want to find out more, please go over to privatelenderpodcast.com forward slash Inc, I-N-K. Today, as you hear this, or as this episode is being released, it is Labor Day in the United States. To be specific, this episode is dropping on Monday, September 7th, in this dreadful year of our Lord, 2020. I noticed earlier, I'm going to kind of go off off the ranch here, but I noticed earlier that the acorns had started to fall from uh, an oak tree in my backyard and the squirrels are beginning to hoard their stash for the winter. And it was, it was quite fun just to watch them kind of not fight, but scurry around and very excited about the fresh acorns that had fallen. And given the year it has been thus far and, and not knowing what the next four months are going to bring, not that January 1 is going to suddenly make our lives any better, but recently I've adapted a mantra and, and motto which are a, a very determined and emphatic plea to you, dear listener. And that is this, three simple words, prepare for winter. That's it, prepare for winter. It's coming. The squirrels know it. You haven't seen, like, something's coming. I don't know, like, how much crazier things can get, but I, I don't want to ask. So I think it's a good time to prepare for winter. Start putting those acorns back. Not spending so much. Maybe get a little more conservative in the fiscal side of things. I'm trying to do that at the same time, trying to also become more liberal on the, uh, on the giving and the tithing and whatnot. So they say the more you give, the, the more you get back. So I'm trying that myself. I'm not suggesting necessarily you do that, but just saying that's where I'm at. And yeah, we've had a hell of a nice long run on this bull market. So we'll see what happens. But okay, today's topic is one for which I receive quite a few questions, and that is how to lend beyond your own backyard. Because I always say people tell people to start in their backyard before they, they move out and lend out of town or even across state lines. And it's something that I don't do myself because I don't need to leave Texas. It's fairly secure and safe for me and I can go still see the properties. However, today I have the privilege of speaking with Jaspreet Baveja, a private lender in the San Francisco Bay area, who's going to talk about how he generates positive ROI 
through private lending on properties that are over 2,000 miles away. In fact, I owe a big, huge debt of gratitude because I was trying to wholesale some property, some land in, in Central Texas last week. And it was today's guest, Jespreet, who suggested I take down the deal myself and, and that he would be a private lender. Unfortunately, the deal fell through, but I'm really looking forward to the next one, knowing that I have a lender who's willing to finance development deals in a very hot spot of Texas. So and all he did was ask me one simple question, and it got me out of a mental rut, and it got me out of my own way. And it gave me another option that had been kept hidden by my own limiting beliefs. So I'm very grateful he made the suggestion and I want to say thanks. But let's go ahead and get down to the brass tacks and into the interview with Jespreet Baveja. Linder Nation, I'm honored to have with us on the show today, Jespreet Baveja. Jespreet, welcome to the Private Lender Podcast. Thank you very much. And I, I love the, uh, the pronunciation there. Thank you. Uh, thank you. I, d- I did practice. On point. On point. <laughs> so with that name, give us a quick background of, oh, well, I know you live in the San Francisco area. Where's your family come from? We came from India, born and raised in India, about almost 15 years, moved to New York for a couple of years, then down to Florida, Miami for 10 years. And I've been in the Bay Area now over 10 years as well. Met my wife here and she was also born and raised in India, New Delhi, just like me. So yeah, we've been married almost 10 years, have two girls and my parents live in Florida, but are actually here at my house visiting in this COVID insanity. They said we waited long enough, so we want to see our grandkids. They came out and my youngest one just had a birthday yesterday and the older one's going to have a birthday in a month from now. So they're just spending the time. Nice. That's, and that's one of the things that I'm, I think most Americans or, or certainly my American family didn't understand was the concept of families a lot different with Indians. So it's um, not better, not worse. Just, but look, I mean, look, an old Indian grandmother trying to feed you when you're full and don't want to eat is the same as my grandmother was trying to feed me um, you know, the, <laughs> the same thing. The reason I brought, well, Jespreet knows why he's on, but the reason I wanted to bring him on today for you, Lender Nation, is I always say I only talk about things that I do, and I lend in, in Texas and in, in my backyard, but Jespreet goes across state lines, and so I wanted to bring him on and just really turn over, turn the show over to you, Jespreet, and say, how did you get into this private lending thing? And you do it more for cash flow, whereas I do it for my retirement. You're doing it on a cash flow basis. so. I found uh, your story very intriguing. Obviously, we've spoken a few times and you're graciously kind enough to come on the show. So I'm going to shut up and start taking notes here in a minute. So um, if you could just, how did you become a private lender? Or what? Were you a, a wholesaler or a rehabber? Walk us through how you got to that. Well, I was working a full-time job at a healthcare company and I had been at that healthcare company at least six years when I got started in real estate. And I had a rental property out here that just became a rental because we moved out of a condo and we said, oh, well, we can rent it out for the same amount of money that we have to pay our lender. So that's all that mattered. A net zero was all I was looking for because I was not an investor, not, a, not in that mindset at all. It was just, well, I can have two properties for the price of one and just leave it there and it'll pay for itself and that'll be great. Never worked out that easily. But anyways... It sounded good on paper, right? <laughs> yeah, it sounded great on paper. But luckily enough, it, it appreciated enough that we were able to get out of it for net zero at the end, even after six plus months of no rent from a tenant in California. It's just this normal. Evictions process six to nine months. That's like nobody even blinks an eye on that one. So yeah, it's insane. And so I said, okay, I'll never do that again. Well, lo and behold, two years later, I did that again. <laughs> This time, the rent was like a time and a half of what it was before, but amazing tenants. They were making more in retirement than I was making with my wife's income combined 
as active employees. And I was like, all right, yeah, I think I can trust these guys that pretty savvy and it worked out well and I appreciated it again. And that one appreciated probably almost 50% in the three to five years that we held it. And that was one of the biggest boosts for cash influx to our family to say, all right, gives us a little bit of a nest egg to go ahead and do what I did was quit my job, actually. And so in 2017, let's say I got started in real estate. My friend said, hey, look, you already got this one rental property in, in the Bay Area. Forget all that. That's not cash flow at all. But let's look at cash flowing markets. And they dragged me over to Indianapolis from the Bay Area and sight unseen without flying out there ever bought two duplexes and relied on a network that my friends and investor buddies had already built. So got the broker, got, you know, handyman, GCs, electrician guy and a flooring guy and slowly started building the network and a property manager. And yeah, soon enough, went to fire the property manager, got another one. Soon thereafter, went to fire them. (laughs) (laughs) You mean you have to manage the property manager? Oh, yeah. What a concept, right? Like, you're, <laughs> buddy, what are you talking about? You get a property out of state, you give it to a property manager, they hire everybody they need to. You make 8 10 12% a year and everything goes happy-go-lucky. What are you talking about? Nothing ever goes wrong. Yeah, you just, you get a check in the mail. Boom, mailbox money. Ideal. But no, it doesn't always work that way, unfortunately. So you got the mail, you got to manage the managers and you, and you, you get the, uh, the easy mailbox money. So you bumped some bruises. Was So uh, your friend, was he on the ground there in Indianapolis? No, I mean, so he was here and he actually has, probably still has about 60 plus units out there in Indy. So they're just powering through. I mean, it's just, I think the scale matters, right? Like the more invested you are and the more scale you have, the easier it is to handle those bumps and bruises because let's say even 50% of your portfolio goes away and you still got 40 paying tenants. It's a lot easier to, to manage those other 20, 30, 40 that are not and get them rented and get them managed and all that stuff. So I think that's where scale comes in. But I was barely at two or four duplexes. And during this process of building my portfolio up is when I started networking with wholesalers and property managers, like I said, and other flippers, other out-of-state investors that were investing in Indy out of California, whether SoCal, NorCal, whatever, and just talking to people. And, and one of the investors said, hey, would you mind lending me money to buy this property in Indy? And I'll pay you X percent interest rate. And you'll just be the first position lean. I said, wow, that percentage. I heard about that percentage return when I first was buying properties. Haven't seen it in the last 18 months that I've been holding them. Maybe this will work out better. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's how I started the process and just did some research, talked to a lawyer, looked at the contracts and note and mortgage, understood, oh, well, this is pretty similar to what my bank gave me when I was buying the property and they were giving me the loan and the documents look pretty similar. And, you know, figured out what it takes to vet them. But I don't think I spent months in trying to figure that out. It was more like two weeks into from when they asked me, I was said, yes, let's go ahead and get started. And the third weekend, I had already funded the deal and it was close to a quarter million. But it was still something that I was comfortable taking the risk on because of that first position lien, equity in the deal. The property was probably worth 500000 and they were buying it for two ninety or three hundred. And I said, all right, well. There's enough equity that if everything goes south, I should be able to recoup my investment and still be able to make money. So took that risk and it paid off pretty well. And that was probably like June 2018. And by the end of 2018, I had done like six more. And not even with that same guy, different people. Just word of mouth. Literally never advertised, never said it to anything and just talked about how I've done it 
And people came up and just asked. I vetted them and off it went. I want to unpack a few things there, if you don't mind. Um, first off, you said, you know, you had a house in California, appreciate 50%. God bless the California real estate market. Because when it's good for people, it's good. And when it sucks, it sucks. So yeah, that's great that you were able to take advantage of that. And then I also love the fact that, and I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call it speculation per se, but like an outsider looking into California would probably consider speculation. You were able to profit and then put it into something very conservative like private lending, which I think is great. You should always have some spec money. You always have a little blackjack money, a little roulette money, you know, something for the crabs table, just a little, just to have a little fun or for the stock market, if that's your casino, whatever. But um, I do like that. The other thing I wanted to ask is how long, what was the term of that first note within three weeks that you had funded a uh, quarter million? I think it was a six month or maybe a 12 month loan. And it was going to be personal guarantee to an LLC that had existed for a while and they were just going to buy it. And I think they were going to wholesale this one. They were just going to buy it at a discount and then put maybe one to 5000 in just to clean it up and presentable. Not do a full-blown flip, but presentable and then market it. And they, I think they have their own brokerage too. So it's a pretty well-established team of investors. They got wholesaling, flipping, buy and hold, all that under their umbrella. And they've got all these different components of their business that they utilize. So it was pretty easy to figure out. Yeah, they've done a lot of deals. Yeah, they are open in the market. They have a huge podcast following. They have a huge investor following. And so it was a lot easier to lend to an established entity at a terms of six to 12 months at double digit returns with a first position lien guarantee, knowing that your money is secured in that asset. And you just touched on one of my favorite things when lending to people. I say, who, you know, who do I lend to? Who do I lend to? I always tell people to be extremely discriminatory in this case, not from any of the protected classes, but I want to see a lot of gray hair. I like to see age when I lend to people, people that have been through it, have, you know, that people like, oh, this reminds me of the, the savings and loan crash at 88, or this is the, you know, when this turned, I love that. And the other thing I, I like is I always require that people have skin in the game, which usually means money in the deal. But there's also a reputational risk. And so I've turned a lot of newbies away and first timers away. However, if they have a coach or a mentor that is earning or their, their shingle is out and they have students and they have a reputation risk, you know, there's a reputational risk. I like those too. And so it sounds like you said, you know, with this team that they've been around long enough to, it wasn't like, you know, your friend's cousin, Jimmy, that found a flip, right? Like this is a business deal. Yeah. Legitimate business that I've been operating for years. And even on my website, I did the same thing. I, as I put a link to the one of the biggest counties in Indiana is Marion County. And I put the Marion County's online website on my website that says, all right, you click here, you put in any entity's name or a person's name, and you will see mortgage, release of mortgage, mortgage, release of mortgage. And you see those deeds going in their name or the entity's name going back years and when you see 100 plus of those transactions, you know that they're active in the market and you know how long they've been active. And you can see the addresses, you can see dollar amounts, right? So it's a free, simple resource to do a background check and you just know, hey, you can't go wrong. This is literally the county's website. This is a recorded deed that they can't lie about. Right, no, it's public record, recorded at the county clerk, yeah. And you go straight to the horse's mouth to hear, yep, They've done this deal, they've done this deal, they've done this deal, and you just go down the list and it's just 100 plus of them. How quick does that comfort level, that warm and fuzzy just, <laughs> right? just <laughs> overtakes you and you're like, oh man, this is pretty good. And then, you know, you get their LLC, you can just go to the statement information on the website, the state's registrar website, and you just go take a look and say, all right, well, 
they've been there. They've registered, you know, 10 years ago or eight years ago or whatever. And they've done hundreds of deals and they've got all these people investing. Clearly, they're doing something right. And you also touched on something that is a deal breaker. If a lot of people want to have the loan to the LLC so that if it goes tits up, they can walk away. They just close down the LLC and there's no personal liability. Not in my world. And it doesn't sound like that happens in your world either. So you get the personal guarantee for everybody listed on that LLC. Yep. All right. Excellent. And I know a couple of lawyers that insist, like if uh, not for LLCs, because that's, that's a different entity or a different whole different thing together. But when you loan to an individual, especially like in Texas, you put their wife, their name of their wife as well, because we're community property. So they could make the argument, well, no, only half that loan. You know, so if I loan out a hundred grand, well, only 50 of it is tied to him. Well, no. So then, all right. Okay, Mrs. Smith or whatever. All right. Now I have never lent to a person on like a person's name ever. And I have been involved with at least 60 of my own loans so far. And I've helped get about 40 or more other people's loans into place, just help connect the dots. And not once has it been in a personal's name. It's always been in an entity name and the entity has to have existed for a while, seasoned guys, and that's it. Good. I like that. That's how you stay safe. And your background is not in money or finance, is it? You said you worked for a healthcare company. Yeah, I was doing healthcare regulatory compliance. I was doing documentation for physicians and surgeons and matching the dots for state regulations and doing data analytics, but it was never around finance and dollars and liens and figuring out mortgages. None of that. The only time I'd ever dealt with a mortgage was when I was buying my own primary residences. And that's it. And that's speculative money that you're talking about, right? Like it was just a primary residence that I got from my family. We moved in and a couple of years later, we said, all right, well, family's growing. Feel like this is too small. Let's go to a different house and we'll just rent this one out. And that's how it happened. But luckily enough, stayed in it for less, you know, at least two out of the five years. So tax-free. Tax-free, yeah. That money and run. <laughs> this is also another interesting point is that this is not in your retirement account. So this is cash money out in front. So you'll, is it ordinary income? Is it taxed as ordinary income for you? Yeah. Now I've just switched over to having an S-corp election. So we'll see, you know, dividends and salary and self-employment tax and all that stuff. We'll we'll see how that works out this year. But it was just basically I did it out of my own name for the first 20 deals, at least. It was just my name lending to an LLC. And then I eventually set up the LLC. And then I said, all right, well, maybe the LLC's hit its quota. Let's go over to an S-corp. You just, you grow. There's no need to have everything ready day one. and everything figured out day one. I think a lot of people get held back in this scenario of, well, I want to have all my ducks in a row. Well, I think you should focus on the deal and the stability and the verification of that asset, the person, the entity, whoever your borrowers, or even if you're doing a flip, focus on the market and the analysis of that and worry about your entities when you have enough experience to justify and warrant spending the money and figuring out and adding that headache to yourself. If you can at least do one deal on your own, well, you'll know what kind of expenses you had. You'll know what kind of timeline it took. You'll know what kind of people you have on the ground. Because if you spend too much time worrying about the entities, you're never going to move forward and actually do the deal and learn what you need to actually keep your money safe versus just anticipating somebody suing you in the future and asset protection and tax efficiencies that you may gain. We'll figure out how to earn the money first and then you'll figure out the tax efficiencies later. I'm following that that very path myself right now is Larry Goen said it once. I mean, I took a, a, one of his boot camps and um, I still have the three ring binder with the first real estate course I ever bought from him. 
but one of his boot camps when he came to Houston, this lady stood up and said, when should I start to make my project file? And this is obviously several years ago before, you know, when we actually had manila envelope file folders and everything. And Larry goes, wait, have you closed on the deal? Have you? And she's like, no, no, no. I just, and he's like, well, find a property, find a seller, <laughs> you know, do, do all of this and then worry about creating your file. And someone's like, well, when should I create, you know, my LLC? He's like, well, look, you know, if you, know, if you do your due diligence, if you do all your paperwork and you disclose everything, personally, you're not going to have any, any more liability. Now you start getting rental properties. You start doing five wholesale deals, five flips, right? You've got moving parts now. Now's the time to start looking at that umbrella. Right. And, and that hurt the liability and asset protection and everything else. So I, I like that. Yeah. Go make some money before you figure out, you know, that's like saying, well, well, who should, what, what, what tax accountant should I get? I want to pay the fewer taxes. Go make some money. And then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll figure out the taxes later. It baffles me the number of people I hear talk about, well, before I get started on my deal. And right then, I just all of a sudden, I'm, why? Figure out how to make the money first. Get that process started, get that wheel churning, and then take money out of that deal and go get an LLC set up. You can always do a quick claim deed later. You can always set up land contracts later. Sure, you may lose a little bit of that anonymity and you may have a little bit of exposure for maybe months or weeks or even a year plus, but get property insurance, get umbrella insurance. You can protect yourself in so many other ways than just worrying about entity creation and figuring out the right accountant and the right strategies. I think it's all about just get the experience under your belt, figure out some way to make money and then use that money from that cash flowing business you're setting up and go get everything set up. I like that a lot. So you you had a nightmare deal. Everyone's had at least one nightmare deal. So tell me one that you're willing to admit because you know, you're going to close the door so your wife can't hear. But uh. No, no. Actually, <laughs> of the 100 plus transactions that I've been involved with, not one has gone into default even once. And one came sort of close and that was one of the only two transactions I've done in California. One is still going strong. The other one was this one. And I think that you and I have talked about this one before where, well, just set up a secondary lien on the property and secure your investment that way versus putting everything into a note and, and having it signed. So it was where I had a personal guarantee from not only the entity principles, but also a third party that had brought the deal to me. So I had them sign a personal guarantee with their wife's name on it that said, if this deal goes south for whatever reason, on this date, they will pay me my principal plus interest due and fees and whatever else. And I will assign the note to them and they can do whatever they want with it. Well, that day came and I said, hey, I'm not seeing the money coming from these guys. I'm not hearing anything from them that gives me the confidence. I need to invoke this right here. And 21 days later, the check was in my hand, certified check, cashed. And out the deal I went and said, all right, well, hey, it's not like the deal went south because the deal was a package to me. It was a transaction where I had multiple layers of protection and I just invoked the protection layer. And within three weeks, I was good to go and walked away. So, you know, I think it's just, it's all about protecting yourself and anticipating what could possibly go wrong and just do the best you can in, in setting up your terms the right way. Because like it says right behind you, right? My money, my terms. And if they want that money, they're going to agree to my terms. And they sure did. And lo and behold, I walked away scot-free, be it a couple of weeks later. But it's still, you know, it's just, I don't have to worry about the hassle of them putting the, the property on the market and dealing with inspections and delays and closing and all that. Fine. You go handle that all day, whatever you need. But I've got this third party securing my money. So return of investment 
plus return on investment was achieved through the proper channels of setting up your terms right. So let, let, well, obviously, well, this was a private loan to somebody. Was it a, a rehab or a rental rehab in California? Yeah, it was a rehab. It was a commercial property. It was a commercial warehouse property here in California and on one of the huge crossroads in California, which is for interstate transport. And they, they were going to do warehouse and set up those gates for the trucks and all that ramps and all that stuff. And it was a great property. I mean, if they fix it up right, it's, it's worth a lot. But, and they bought it super cheap for literally 50% or 48% you know, loaned to, or, or 48% of the value of the ARV. So it was, it was an amazing deal, an amazing amount of equity. So I had equity backup. I had personal guarantees. I had the loan, the note, the mortgage, the deed, the lien. Like I just went down and said, all right, what boxes can I check in California to protect myself? Check, 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 check. All right, let's do it. Okay. So deed of trust, you had property insurance, you had good equity. Yep. What, where did they run into trouble? Where did the borrower, the operator, did they communicate that with you in real time? Not so well. Not so well. I think, I mean, I was trying my best to give them the benefit of the doubt, even went to go see them a couple of times and they were making some progress, but are not enough. And this was one of the only times I've done a hundred percent of the purchase price plus some rehab money, because even then I was barely touching 50% of ARV and I had all this protection built in and the rate of return was going to be amazing. So it was their lack of skin in the game, I think, that led to this complacency. And meh, it's all right. It's all his money anyway. So what would he freaking do? We'll get to that property when we get to it. And I think that's why everybody says, right, like skin in the game is super important. But luckily enough, and I will say that was lucky, that I was able to not have them put enough skin in the game, yet still walk away scot-free just by leveraging you know, the level of security that I had in there. Okay. So that's no, yeah, skin, yeah, it's too easy to walk away when you're, when your money, when it doesn't hurt you, it's too, or them, it, it's too easy for them to walk away. Yeah. And the same thing, I always put the, uh, I just, in fact, I just wrote an, I just submitted an article for a, a newsletter. I hope it gets published, but it basically, there are two ways that I like to protect money. And it's like, I just hit 30,000 foot, you know, cause I only had like 300 words, but processes. So your due diligence, how you do all that, those things. And your paperwork, right? The personal guarantee for all principles in an LLC, for example. And then you have the insurance policies, right? You have the title policy, the hazard policy. I always uh, ensure that there's a, and usually in Texas, hazard and liability go together on a property. So that's put together. But I do require flood insurance, which is separate because if $500 is going to kill a deal, they don't need my money, the way I look at it. So, but anyway, yeah, that's what I love about private lending because I, I jumped in in March in the stock market and I'm, I'm like, hell yeah, man. This is like going down the, the river, the rapids with a tube. This is fun. But I know a lot of people lost and swallowed, but there was no insurance policies for COVID or pandemic insurance or anything like that uh, on, on the market. You just had to know how to play it. And I'm no genius. I'm no timer, but so far so good which the more I make, the more I can lend out. That's the way I look at it. So yeah, that's what my dad was actually just going over this morning while he's here. He's like, oh, so, you know, March 19th, I opened a trading account. I'm like, well, all right. There was no better day than to start than that one, literally right there. So he's like, I'm doing exceptionally. I'm like, yeah, once in a lifetime opportunity. I'm glad you're availing it. I'm not, I'm not in the stock market at all. I think I have one IRA account that's stuck in Merrill Lynch that I have whatever, a couple of thousand bucks, literally a couple of thousand. And that's, all I play with. That's my play money. No, I had when I left the W2, my last job, it was funny because I actually got a contribution in the 401k from last year, but I got it in April. And so I was, I was mad because I thought I emptied the account because I hadn't transferred it over to my self-directed IRA yet. I was like, all right, the not the notary, but the diamond signature, it's, it's a whole 
pain in the anyway. So I just, you know, I was keeping it there until a deal came along and then I'd, I'd, you know, roll it over or whatever. And a, a buddy of mine texted me, his financial advisor is a guy we went to high school with. And he texted me, he's like, Hey, just look at this. And he just took a photo of his email and he's like, just you know, all the stocks, <laughs> you know, like just, you know, it was Boeing United, everything was taking a hit. Right. So yeah, we, I jumped in into some Amazon. I'm really proud about that one or lucky. But that, to me, it was pure speculation and it was more than I would normally push in. However, I got that warm and fuzzy started coming up a little bit when I like nothing was truly wrong with the economy before February. Like, I mean, outside of normal cycles, right? Like there's no impending housing crisis or mortgage crisis. Debatable. Well, yeah, but not like in 08, not like in 08. I mean, we're certainly heading, well, there's, I mean, we, we can make arguments for, but yeah, I mean, well, I'm not going to get into that. It's not on the horizon like it was 07, 08. So I was like, why not? Yeah, I'm going to, I'll put it in. And then I, I interviewed, um, I'm drawing a complete blank, but he did. I was on a multifamily apartment investing. God, what was his name? I'm, I'm just telling me. Anyway, he went straight to uh, trading the S&P options, right? So you know, when I was up 30%, he was up 5X because he's, <laughs> he's playing options. Yeah, exactly. And I feel horrible. Uh, Jim, was it Jim Mafucci? I, I can't even, oh, I feel, uh, this is what happens once you hit your 40s, people. But uh, anyway. Not there yet, so. Yeah, God bless you. <laughs> but yeah, it, but I was sitting there thinking, I was like, yeah, I did all great. You know, I did really good with my speculation. He's like, I'm up 5X. I'm like, okay. All right. Well, I'm just going to shut up and uh, drink my water here. Thanks. Off topic a little bit. How is COVID in the Bay Area right now, man? Pretty horrible. I think California is like the number one or number two state with the most number of cases in the U.S. overall, period. I thought that was trending down. I thought Texas and Florida were taking that over. Florida is the one that just I heard this morning is flattening out. Oh, are they? Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, California is just I think California is still number one. And this is July 31st, 2020 people that we're talking and it's pretty bad. I, you know, we go out for grocery shopping and in our masks and sanitizing every two minutes if we can and making sure everything is safe and keep the kids home pretty much all the time. And I've got two elementary school kids, so it's quite hard, but we're just trying to do best, best we can. Our school starts in 20 days and it's going to start online. Yeah, same here. Fully online, 100%. Not in Indy though. Indianapolis is going to be full in school. Are they? Yeah. They didn't have the infiltration or the infection rate, did they? Not the insane rate that we have now. Okay. Yeah. They're still there. I, uh, back in May, I um, do some travel for the day job. And of course, you know, I had to fly, uh, connect, you know, no direct flights. So I, I get to Pittsburgh and I, I wake up in the morning and uh, I call Robin Mead, my travel mistress. She's always there with me when I'm on the road. I just put on CNN headline news because she could tell me the world is ending. I'd be like, oh, that's nice. That's, that's okay. That's fine. But of course, she's like, you know, in Texas, and the first thing they do is show a bar in Houston, and it's just packed with people. And then they go over to the hill country, and then uh, you know, there's a bunch of rivers, people going tubing, and it's just full, full on packed, bumper to bumper, people. It's comical to me because nobody knows what the hell, you know, I just, at this point, I'm like, let's just go through it. And I, I want my kids back in schools, more from their sanity than mine. I think kids are resilient for the most part, but like my little one, she's a 10. She said, you know, she misses her friends because, you know, some of her friends, like they come over and they hang out here and there. Other friends are like, no, we're shutting down. You know, and I respect that. That's fine. But you know, I, didn't, I didn't mean to make this a whole COVID thing, but I just figured, you know, hey, West Coast, I'm on the Gulf Coast. You know, what's it like? Because uh, San Francisco is my favorite American city, uh, hands, hands down, uh, that I've uh, ever, and I haven't spent a whole lot of time there. A lot of people are dying to get out of here and are getting out of here. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of them come to 
hill country of Texas. And I just heard today, Joe Rogan is moving to Texas. He was on his podcast. He didn't put it out you know, where exactly, but I know I have a lot of realtor friends that their parents are, are realtors in like rural areas of Texas. Their business is booming right now. And he, even a small house with some acreage is just bam going up. So I imagine it's a lot like that around you know, anywhere there's a major metropolis, which is good for us though as, as well. But in all seriousness, as an investor, you know, and, and an insurance adjuster, I'm a, I'm a vulture. So if a lot of people moved out of San Francisco and it became reasonable to purchase property there, which I don't think it ever will, but if it dropped 25%, I'd be in in a heartbeat. I'd get in. It has done that in certain spots. Yeah. It has done that in the certain spots before. You're my boots on the ground now. You've heard it now here at first, but sounds good. <laughs> but as long as I'm here, I will be your boots on the ground. No problem. Thank you. I just I want a place near Haight Ashbury. I'm a I'm a big hippie lover. Grateful Dead, the Warlocks. Love, love, love me. Uh, some city lights. In fact, there it is. Hal, if you love city lights books, man, it's my favorite bookstore in the world. Yeah, me and Larry Ferlin Gary went way back, man, back in the fifties. <laughs> Clearly, because you're in your 40s, so the 50s exactly. makes sense. Yeah, see, see how I did that? See how I did that? Well, cool. Hey, well, let me ask you this, man. If I want to get into lending out of state, right? So, I mean, you had your friend had already kind of set up that network and had that team built. Now, once you got into it, you've had to churn your team and as any anybody would would, would have to. So, are you, are you strictly lending or are you also doing, are you purchasing other uh, rental uh, properties? So I sold all four of my duplexes last year, flipped them all basically is what I ended up doing and delivered. I think all of them were delivered vacant and I enjoyed that appreciation game and made out on all of them. And and last year I tried to flip in Austin of all places and that went horribly wrong. But that's just all about the team, right? Like I didn't have a team as good as I have in Indy out in Austin or anywhere near it. And it just went horribly wrong. So it speaks volumes to having your right team. But doing that churn in Indy, it helped me get, you know, I went through a few handymen, a couple of GCs. and But the one constant I always had is my broker. I can't just express how important it is to have the right broker on your team. Because if you're not worried about getting appraisals done on every deal, I've never done a single appraisal on any of these 100 plus transactions, not once. I rely on BPOs, because those BPOs are an unbiased third party who gets a look at the exact photos, videos, can even do a tour for you if you want. And that broker's opinion is reliant on the property as is, where is in today's market, right? So they give you actual property value. So that is super key because if you're not getting a full-blown appraisal and I'm paying 400, 500 bucks for each one of those, which I don't, then having that BPO for whatever price you pay for it is way cheaper, but you keep that broker busy, rapport is building, and you use them to sometimes buy properties off the MLS whether while they're working for you or... And I've done flips. So I've done... I started three flips this year in Indy, sold one of them, just massive returns. I, I don't even want to say the numbers out loud because it's just unreplicatable for me. And the second one came about and I said, hey, you know, if I want to be a full-time real estate professional for the IRS, I need to have properties in my name, don't I? Crap. All right. Well, this flip that I'm doing is now a rental. It's perfect. And so my GC that I found through a network of mine. So we were talking about the churn of the team. As part of this private lending stuff, I helped set up a loan for a new guy. And I talked to him, then talked to somebody else I knew, connected the dots. Loan went really well. And the lender ended up making more money than they thought because of the way the terms were set up and they prepaid a little bit. So it was exceptional returns for them. 
And through that process, that guy talks to me and I said, hey, look, man, I've got this one property that I just can't get anybody to go out and finish this work. He's like, oh, well, I do like 30 properties a year at least. So I've got a couple of guys that are not doing anything. Let me go put them on your property. And you know, he sent a couple of guys over. They, two weeks later, the work was finished and property was listed. And I said, wow, this is amazing. You know, so you leverage your network. And that's why I don't approach anyone with a predatory sense. You never want to approach your borrowers with this, well, I'm going to juice you for everything you got. And I'm going to make sure that I put every little penny pinching thing in there and make you pay for every little thing and make sure you're going to pay me for early. If you pay me off early, early fees and extension fees and this penalty and that fees, like the more you tack on and the more negative you make it for them, even if they do that one deal with you because there's enough meat on the bones, doesn't mean that they're going to come back to you for the second and the third or the fourth. So building a good relationship is super key. And through that relationship, I found a GC that he said, hey, I've got another GC team. If you want to do another one, then you know he's really good and brought them on. And I said, wow, like this guy really delivered on the pricing, the timeline, the quality. It was all great and ended up doing really well. So I keep putting them to work, but I've got one property that I just rented out. Tomorrow, the, the tenant's going to move in. My first tenant in over a year and a half. Let's see how that goes. <laughs> wow. All right. Hopefully you've edited them well. <laughs> I did. I, I tried my best. And, you know, I'm going to self-manage it. But I've got my broker, you know, boots on the ground. I've got handyman, GC, whatever it needs. I've got a brand new AC, brand new electrical, brand new furnace. And, you know, like everything is done right from the get-go. It's a lot easier to bring that in and vet them right and then start the process. And hopefully it goes well. But yeah, so to your point, I've got flips, lending, I am a limited partner in at least six syndications, and those are multifamily in Texas, an office space for Northrop Grunham, right next to the Air Force Base in Colorado, right next to the, where they're making the Space Force. And so that can't go wrong, hopefully. And I've got a property in California, Northern California. I've got a deal in Southern California. And this self-storage conversion from a warehouse up in Ohio. So I've just got my money in all these different places using all these different platforms like CrowdStreet, you know, just personal networks and lending. And so I'm just trying to leverage all the cash that I built up into creating multiple passive income streams so that I can focus on what I love doing best, which is spending time with my family and traveling, which whenever the hell that opens up again. <laughs> well, you're getting lots of one and not so much of the other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's hard to get all this family time and not be able to expend energy that they have cooped up in the home. But like last year alone, we traveled nine countries. I quit my job in May. And by the second week of June, we were in England and picked up a car and drove down from England straight across the ferry and into France, took a turn, went into Belgium, Luxembourg, Switzerland, back into France, did the whole French Riviera, Nice, Monte Carlo, Monaco, went into Spain, did all the Alicante, the whole Spanish coastline, and went into Portugal, and then did that whole boat rides into caves and beaches, and then went up to back into Spain and Madrid, and Went to see some amazing architecture everywhere, Barcelona, Madrid, you name it. Just just amazing, right? You know, centuries-old buildings and architecture and all that stuff. And it was amazing. I mean, driving through seven countries in Europe with your kids, and a vast majority of that was back roads. And not once did I have to think about work, did I have to think about doing some crazy stuff. I was I still had a deal in Austin going. I sold that property while I was international. 
I did two private loans that I remember. I was flipping a property in India at the same time and getting electrical set up from scratch. But I could do all that on WhatsApp or wiring money is as easy as an app anywhere in the world. So it's just that flexibility is so worth it to say, yep, I'm just going to give up that job. I had all this stuff going on, right? So I said, I'm just going to, this is the one thing that's going to go as the job that I'm not satisfied in and not happy with and not want to do for the rest of my life and took this on. And it's really been bliss, truly. That's great. You're doing, you're doing it right, man. Yeah, you know, I mean, I can, I mean there's no, that's the only way to say it. I mean, winner, winner, chicken dinner. I mean, that's it right there. <laughs> You're, and thank you for reaching out and connecting with me. We, you know, our conversations, I enjoy hearing it, uh, you know, and especially hearing about the, uh, you know, the limited partnerships and you know, moving on in some, some of the crowdfunding platforms. But I just want to circle back real quick before I forget, because I do have adult ADD or ADHD, whatever it is, squirrel. But a, um, your broker is your keystone, your linchpin of your operation in, in Indianapolis, right? So that's where you're doing your most of your all your lending yeah, is in all Indi- my lending is yeah in Indianapolis. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So in your other deals like your syndications and whatnot, yeah, that's different. That's a different episode. But I participated in my first LP here. Uh, we closed end of May, and we call it a, a trophy property. It's very iconic here in Houston. Well, for those of us who grew up here, if you just move here, it's just another freaking building. Who cares? But for years, it, it's it was a piano store for many years and. And I agreed and then COVID hit and I was like, oh, wait a minute. But I was like, wait, it's not office space. It's kind of high-end retail, right? Pianos, five grand for a decent piano or so. And sorry, speaking of kids, mine just broke through the door here. And uh, oh, he's, that's my dog. He laid down, so he's fine. But, you know, it was funny because they were like, we're, we're not going to close yet. We're not going to close yet because, you know, the seller is, is amenable. It's fine. This and that. And I started getting concerned. But then they came back and said, well, the bank thinks that our rents per square foot are, are low. And so we got another year of interest only. We got a whole point shaved down off the interest rate. So I'm totally passive, right? I've, I know the horse and I'm putting all my money on the jockey, right? And boom, th- uh, there it is. LP, that's the whole benefit of the LP's position. Yeah. That's it. Now I can't control anything, but, but I don't want to either. <laughs> <laughs> that's the whole point. It's, like, it's supposed to be passive. You put the money in the right place and it, it does what it needs to do. I've been wanting to, uh, the, 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 the operator, the, uh, sorry, the sponsor, you know, he put up a substantial amount of his own cash. I mean, we're talking two commas and he's got tons of skin in the game. And, and, and like, and he's, uh, Stephen Kaufman, episode one and episode hundred, uh, if you will go back and listen, I thanked him, you know, and he's like, well, this is my art, you know, because this is what I do. And he stays SEC uh, compliant, but you know, he's like, look, this is, brings people in. This is how we do it. And he'll teach you. He'll teach you. You want to buy a building? This is how you do it. So we've got a big out value add where we're doing the outside and, you know, they got a whole bunch of architecture plans. And I've seen enough of, like you said, you know, when you were vetting those guys in Indianapolis, uh, you go back and look at, at what the, the Zeus group has done on their commercial buildings in Houston and Dallas. It's like, I didn't even read the full memorandum. I was like, all right, yeah, yeah exactly. I'm done. Yeah. Give me peace. And I like the fact that real estate agents, brokers are, I feel for them because you got these robo, you know, red fins and everything and, and Zillow coming through. And, you know, you ask most real estate investors, oh, I don't want to pay realtor fees, blah, 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 you know? Right, right, right. I was like, who else is going to drive people around to look at your house? Who else is going to have that open house? You know, I have no problems. And, but so because of that, they also, they get abused a lot, right? Like, give me a CMA or oh, it's going to be 25 bucks or, you know, or BPO or whatever. But you give them business like you have. And they know that, hey, you're not fluff, right? Just it's going to give me money or business. You know, it's going to, it's a connection that's going to lead now those boots on the ground just aren't boots on the ground, but they're looking out for you because they know they know that more money's going to come through the feeding trough that you're putting in front of them. Yep, exactly. And I've always delivered. At least I like to think so. And 
you know, if it's not my own property, it's referrals. If it's not me, it's insurance referrals or people to other agents or whatever the case may be, right? And this guy has property management experience. He had his own property management team in the back in the day, and he's been a realtor broker for a while, and he has his own investment properties, and he's on the same, or if not more, wholesalers lists than I am, and he knows the neighborhoods well. So just having someone who's in the game is super active, is very, very friendly and down to earth, and is just there to help you out, and you have that rapport. Everybody says it, and I can't say it enough. Real estate and private lending all tied together is all a relationship game. Not the people. Because if you can't trust the people, you'll never get started. If you can't have an understanding and a bond, you'll never repeat that same business. If you don't treat someone right, they'll never come back. You won't go back. And so, you know, if if you just do what you say you're going to do, no matter the cost, and just make things right. People like I have heard you say it multiple times, right? Like you've said, hey, look, if they have to scrape their couch to pay me back and they're going to do it, sure, I'll do a deal again, even if it failed one or two or twice. So, you know, it's just, it's the same thing. It's all about relationship. As long as you build that relationship and you show your commitment and you, you're able to lift each other up, man, that's the way to go. Like I tell them, it's like, let me know. Don't wait until two weeks before the loan is due to say, oh, I haven't sold the property yet or I'm going to need an extension. I don't look favorable. No. And look, people get in trouble. Deals hit bumps and speed bumps and things and shit happens. I get it, right? I get it. Not all stocks always go up, right? I mean, things are going to happen, but just let me know because I might have, like you said, to your point, someone in my network who can get you out of a jam. Exactly. Right? Oh, your carpenter walked off? Your trim guy walked off? Oh, hey. Don't worry. I know, guy. You know, Chewy can do it. I'll make a call. He will do it tomorrow. Yeah, boom. Done, right? But, oh my God, freaked out. Stick the head in the sand. Don't tell your lender. Real estate is not about properties and numbers. It's really about people. And like you said, the relationships and the connections. And I hope this world is, and all the tumult that we're going through right now, that we, we more of us learn that, not just individually, but on the evening news as well. I think it would, uh, it would help things out a hell of a lot. But anyhow, just Pete, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your story with us today. And I'm going to start lending in uh, Indianapolis. If you ever need some help, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say this one thing, you know, a, a lot of people that I talk to and I've got my website out there, right? So a lot of people find me and they call me and they talk to me and it's not just a money-making thing. You know, it's just, it's just giving back, just like you're doing this. It's just my way of giving back and talking to people and coaching them or just not even coaching. It's just talking to them. Letting them know what can happen and how to do right, it. Right, exactly. And, and what I do, and if they want to leverage my network, sure, I'll connect you and connect the dots. And if you want to do a deal together, we'll get into something. We'll, let's talk about it, right? So it's just a way of moving things forward. But as part of this call and talking stuff, a lot of people are like, oh, well, what's the interest, interest rate going to be? How many points is it going to be? How many? What's the fees going to be, right? Like, and, and I understand that anticipation asking those questions, but sometimes they forget that the dollar amount matters. If you're doing a $25,000 loan, whether it's 8% or 12%, you're talking about a hundred bucks over the course of the year. What difference does it make? Right? Like focus on the dollar. Like if you're doing a quarter million dollar deal and you're talking about a 12% to 18% rate difference, which is the same 6% between, you know, let's say six and 12, right? Like that makes a much bigger difference than if you're doing a $25,000 deal. And people can't can seem to get their head past that. Like, oh, no, just breathe. No, I don't, I don't want to do a 9% loan. I only want to do 12. Okay, well, let's just work out the math. What is the dollar amount difference going to be? And is it worth you not putting your money into a deal over $86 in the next 12 months? Oh, right. No. 
And it's the other way around too, is that you don't just chase the percentage amount, look at the dollar value. And people seem to say, oh, well, oh man, that sounds like a great deal. I'm going to walk away with like 15% return on my money after all the fees and points. And I'm like, yeah, but it's going to be $1,500 in those points and fees and interest put together combined across the whole thing. Is it really worth you taking the risk, evaluating the deal, evaluating the borrower, going to the lawyer, getting the paperwork, doing the filing, dealing with the title company and back and forth and making sure insurances are good and Whatever amount of money you're putting in and the return you get has to be worth the level of effort you put into the deal as well. Because it's not like robocall. You don't just automatically approve deals and you keep going forward. You got to put sweat equity, even as a lender, into evaluating the deal, whether it's getting a BPO, whether it's getting an inspection, whether it's reviewing the paperwork, talking to the borrower, talking to the title lender, like, sorry, lawyer, all that stuff, right? Everything takes time. And it's stress because you're putting your hard-earned money into it. Make sure the dollar amount's worth it too. Don't just look at percentages. I don't know, but people sometimes just get stuck up in that percentage number and forget the actual dollar amount impact. Well, they think it's the it's the ultimate scoreboard at the end of the day. And you know, most of the you know the gray-headed people that I know here in Houston that lend, they'll haggle with me just because they've all read don't split the difference from Voss, right? Like they're, they're not, they're, in, they're real estate investors. They're cheap. They're going to haggle. They're going to do it. But, you know, at, this, at the same time, I've told them, you know, I've gone from, you know, I was doing a one loan at 8%. And then the next one I said, I'm going to need 10. And they balked at it. I'm like, well, that's fine. And they're like, and I'll never forget. He goes, well, then that's what the money costs. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> because at the end of the day, I was, it was a 30 or $40,000. It wasn't much, right? It wasn't a whole lot. All I wanted to do was just cover I wanted to hit 10%. Side story, I did chase yield and got burned, but won't do that again. But at the time, that's how I was doing it little by little. And, and one was like, look, he goes, he's like, look, I'm going to flip eight houses this year. I want to buy four rentals. And then he used to do uh, buy, and then he'd, do, uh, he'd hold, use my money, purchase the property, season it, get it over on uh, some commercial paper, and then do owner finance. Right? Easy. I, I didn't even have to do it. There were no draws. He just, I just purchased price. Done. That's all I've ever done. Yeah. You know, just boom. And you know, he's like, look, he goes, I want you to make money too. I want you to loan to me. And I'm like, I want you to borrow from me. He's like, okay, he goes, well, what makes you happy, right? Does 10% make you happy? He's like, I tell you what, what if we did the 8%, but I give you two points on the back end. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We can do that. He gets to close with less money out of pocket. I get that. I close the deal. The loan's paid back with more money in mine. So that's, I like that chasing percentages. Exactly. And, and then the other thing is the terms. Like a lot of people are like, well, no, I need monthly income. I don't care what they do. I just don't want to get paid monthly. Well, sometimes giving up that monthly payment, but asking for a couple of points on the back end makes it easier for them to get into the deal and for you to make more money at the end, Mm -hmm. right? So just think about the most balanced approach can be so that you get your money, the return that you wanted, just like you said, and they get to actually do the deal because the more deals they do and the more money they make, the more they're going to come back to you and do it all over again. And that's going to be a safer place for you to place your money as a repeat customer, or repeat client, somebody you've already vetted, you already established them as a vetted borrower. Now you just have to look at the deal. You don't have to vet them every single time, right? So the easier you can make it for yourself. They call you, they tell you about it. You're like, yeah, on principle, I'm in. Send me the numbers. You do your due diligence. You make sure they're not bullshitting you. That's it. Done. What's the quickest you ever funded a deal from them making the phone call or sending you an email to use delivering the money? What's the quickest you've ever done that? Six hours. I think I'm pretty close. I want to say it was with my partner, Landon. So there's a, there's a trust factor there. The beautiful thing about having a partner and lending to a partner is I know those little tweaks in the voice and when to ask additional questions. 
because he will put it out there, you know, like, okay, that sounds good. But, but you know, he'll say, you know, <laughs> what's that one thing that's bothering you? Because I could hear it. Yeah, in your voice. And he's like, yeah, well, half of the garage is on the other side of the property line. <laughs> I'm like, with the garage that's fallen down. He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> All right, that sounds good. You're gonna haul it away anyway, so who cares? Yeah, it's gonna be a skid steer knocking it down. I was like, I don't care. But yeah, it's about it's about six hours from the time I got it because I was at the office. I got it early in the morning. I got a text and then a call and then lunch pulled up some numbers, looked at it. And I don't do a whole lot of appraisals uh, myself because I lend to people I know, but I do call for appraisals when, like if it's a new, you know, for the first time, yeah, I'm definitely going to get an appraisal because I'm still going to get my BPO and do my, I've got my due diligence and my comps that I pull because I've learned never to trust any, I don't even trust the, the appraiser's comps when they come through or the, or the BPO. Cause I've, I've seen some BPOs that I'm like, this house is seven miles away. Like this is not a comparable at all. So I look at all that myself and so I got appraisals. I get that. I, I scare because I always tell people get appraisals. If you're starting off, get appraisals, get appraisals. It helps keep you safe until you can get that comfort factor of, yeah, all right, I've done a few loans now or and even if it doesn't even have to be a loan, it could be a flip. It could be, you know, a wholesale deal, just a deal. Just go through the machinations of the deal, machinations, whatever you call it. English is not my strong suit, but go through it and, um, and get it it's done. It's only my fourth language, so we're yeah, good. Well, you're, you're doing better than me, man. It's, uh, so... <laughs> I went to college and learned German so that I figured out I couldn't speak English. Like I, I, you know, I speak street English. I do not speak proper, or I should say Texan more than, more than English. But right. Exactly. <laughs> it's a whole different language. Drop all your G's and all your T's become D's. Right. So I live in, you know, the, the town Katy, K-A-T-Y. Mm-hmm. That's Katy. Right. <laughs> so, anyway. Well, hey, Just Breed, man, look, I appreciate it. This has been a, a lot of fun and hopefully uh, in a year or so, man, let's, let's swing back and uh, do a follow-up, see where you're at, see how you're doing. Hopefully a proud owner of some huge multiplex, multifamily doing a GP side, which is what I want to do next is I want to get into the GP side of multifamily stuff. I was looking, I'd already put an LOI in that got accepted earlier this year on an 85 unit building. So I'm just chugging along and looking for the next thing, you know, not getting too comfortable, just, just looking for growth organically, slowly, but surely just looking to keep going and looking at investing in car dealerships next. Who knows what's next? The business do the dealership or the land that it's on? Both. Okay. All right. All right. A note on the land and a equity in the in the business. I'm, uh, you know, Tesla's moving to Austin. We're all we're all excited <laughs> about that. Yeah. Well, every, well, I always say Austin is the California of Texas. That's where all the weird ones hang out, and um, I love Austin. That is it. That's that's the only place I would ever move to Austin. I'm a vegan myself. My whole family is, and we've been vegan for three plus years. And man, we loved it. It was just amazing for the kids, the family, the food, the culture, overall vibe. It was just, it was awesome. That's so funny. That you, I love that. Cause you know, the Franklin barbecue is the, it oscillates between the number one and number two barbecue place <laughs> in Texas. So, but that's awesome, man. Uh, I, uh, yeah, let's, let's definitely get together. How do people get a hold of you, man? What's your website? Well, how do they get a hold of you? Sure. Yeah. JGBLLCRE.com. And I'm sure we can type it up somewhere for for easy finding. It'll be on the show notes. Yeah, just go to show notes and it'll be there. And you, there'll be a link to click over to it. Are you on social or anything or are you keep it just to the website? I mean, the website is the easiest because right there, I've got a, a link to my Calendly. You can book a time to talk to me and I'm on Facebook. You can just find me with Jaspreet Bavaja and JGBLLC is the company's name. Once you get to the website, it's all easy enough. My phone number, my direct cell phone number is on the website. WhatsApp, text, all works. And low-key guy, just talk to people and see if I can help them in any way. And that's it. Well, thanks for talking to me today about lending across state lines, man, because I don't do it. So I don't talk about it. So I, I appreciate it, man. Not a problem at all, man. It was a pleasure and, uh, and an honor to be here. Oh, th- well, thank you. The honor's mine, man.
it, it really is, man. It, you, it, I mean, I'll, I'll put it out that you've done a lot more than I have in the real estate space and more loans, you know. So that's you've and you've seen a lot of different things, and I, I appreciate you sharing the experience and the, the perspective. So not a problem. And everyone that's uh, listening, you know, that take well, you should have been taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> Too late now. Too late now. Go yeah, rewind. Rewind it. Yeah, just go hit that rewind. Hey, hey, we're showing our age again, huh? The rewind VHS. Just go yeah, take the well, rewind. I was on a call the other day and I, <laughs> for some reason, my speaker was going into my microphone and I couldn't figure it out and flipped it over. And I, I apologized to everybody for being late. And I said, I grew up with Atari and Nintendo and I can't figure out a damn microphone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, all right, my friend, take care. Stay safe. You too, man. And I will see you soon. Sounds good. And there you have it, folks. I'd like to thank Jaspreet Baveja for reaching out to me all those months ago and explaining how he does what he does, and especially for coming on today's show and to explain his process and his lending methods and his habits, how he's able to lend on properties over 2,000 miles away from his home. I hope you absorb some of the knowledge and the wisdom that Jaspreet gave away just now. If not, go back, rewind, listen. Make sure you don't overlook any of the nuggets of wisdom that were just given. If you'd like for more information or how to connect with Jaspreet, just go to the show notes page over at privatelenderpodcast.com. And this is episode 112. That's going to do it for episode 112. Speaking of that, I want to thank you for your time today, lending me your ear, pun intended. Like I don't charge money to uh, produce the show, but I would be extremely grateful if you would help me get the word out and increase awareness for it by leaving an honest rating and review over at iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you're currently using to hear my voice right now. It's a small but quick request that will pay us both dividends. And to be honest, I believe it's a small price to pay for the value that I try to produce here. I don't always deliver, but you know, at least my heart's in the right place. <laughs> in addition, if you're trying to wrangle up your own stable of private lenders, give them this free resource and say, here you go. Listen to Keith. He'll help you stay safe. So if you're already listening, you know what I'm going to teach them. Perhaps flips, rentals, whatever, whatever they want to do. Send them over there. Help build the, uh, the nation, private lender nation, so we don't need banks anymore. <laughs> that would be, it's actually one of the, one of the goals, one of the mission. And if you are looking to get started, the easy button or the quick way to start private lending, head over to privatelenderpodcast.com forward slash Inc. I-N-K to learn more about how you can begin private lending in the Houston area with uh, some friends of the show. All right. That's going to do it for today. This episode, I want to thank you again for listening. Thank you for your time. And I wish everyone safe and successful private lending. And I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time.